what needs to happen is a little more alignment of the payer reimbursement around chronic care and the, the clinical hospital operations. Because one thing that we do have is four to 10x higher adoption when it's that doctor recommending something to a patient than the employer recommending some something to a, uh, their employee base or the, the payer even like suggesting like, John, you really need to manage this and people don't trust insurance. Why are you trying to get me to do this? But if the doctor says that, people will more readily accept and adhere, especially when they know that clinician is looking over their shoulder at the data stemming from that app or tool or program yep. to know if the patient is being adherent to that. So there's a little bit of a sentinel guilt factor that, that you know, creates a, a greater adherence concept when, when the clinician is the one recommending that to the patient. Welcome back to a fireside chat with Chillmark Research. Looking at healthcare IT with a lens to the future. Welcome back to the Chillmark Research Channel. Today we are broadcasting from HIMSS 22, and I am going to be interviewing Mike McSherry, the CEO and co-founder of Zelf. So to start things off, Mike, I know that you come from a background of tech entrepreneurship, as many people in this building do, but you took time in between to actually learn, really embed yourself in healthcare. So what drove you to take that leap to get into healthcare, but also embed yourself in Providence to actually like really learn more about all the different nuances of being at the front lines of care delivery? I, I've done several tech startups, Zelf being my sixth company I've co-founded. And I sold my last company in Nuance, and though it was in the mobile space, but I got exposed a little bit to Nuance's dragon business and their healthcare business. As I was leaving Nuance, contemplating my next startup, I had also joined the board of a hospital system in Seattle that merged with Providence. And so I met the CEO of Providence, and he convinced me to think of doing a healthcare startup. And so as I was contemplating different paths, I'm like, well, what better way to learn the industry than being inside of an organization? He invited me in to be an entrepreneur in resident with my former executive team. So it gave us a, a green light to think of different problems in healthcare. I jokingly called it the free range EIRs. And we cycled through 70 different ideas, illegal, immoral, nobody will pay for, won't work. And, and eventually we came to understand some of the problems and dynamics of the hospital operation and realized that would be a big opportunity of a business. So we incubated inside of Providence and then spun it out. Okay. So what did you learn just, I mean, you said that there are all these other projects that you went through that ended up not being viable for whatever reason, yep. but beyond that, what else did you learn about how the healthcare system works that's inspired you and driven what you're doing with self? Well, I, certainly understanding how clinicians, doctors, nurses, MAs, I mean, they carry the workload of the, the health and safety of this country on their backs, yep. and especially as we've seen during COVID. And so you get, you get inspired by that, and yet you also see all their manual processes and their laboriously, you know, kind of level of efforts where digital and technology automation does not help them or does not quite come to them yet. Yep. A lot of it is economic and business model and other incentives. But in, in the case of, you know, Providence, we realized we could help them solve a problem and that this is a wide-scale problem for other systems, so big enough opportunity for us to carry it forth as a, a business ende endeavor and raise money and, and grow a business off of that opportunity. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about what Zelf does. Everybody's been trying to figure out how to incorporate mobile health and apps into the daily lives of patients, but also have that work well with the hospital systems. Yep. So... Tell me a little bit about how you are addressing that issue and what some of the unique problems are that Zelf addresses that maybe a haptique or some of these other attempts to do this in the past weren't able to actually accomplish. Yeah. So let, let me back up regarding the mobile. I co-founded Boost Mobile, which is now 
Dishes nationwide prepaid service. I also co-founded a company called Swipe, a touchscreen keyboard yeah, that was swipe. put on several billion phones. And so, tremendous mobile experience. And we thought bringing some of that mobile, you know, capabilities, endeavor, technology to the the healthcare consumers, the healthcare patients, in a more seamless, beneficial, and and kind of ability for them to take action on healthy daily habits and lives would would tr- you know transcend a, a better care model and better care quality. So, with that insight. We saw that there were a range of different digital apps and tools and devices and services and content that was largely being verbally referred to the patient. Or go to the app store and download that app. Or here's a brochure about that app. Or here's a photocopied yep. piece of paper on your rehab exercises. And we thought just digitizing all of that and letting the clinicians easily prescribe that asset to a patient deliver it to the patient in a seamless, consistent manner, and then track if the patient read it, watched it, what that app is saying around their A1C or their behavioral health screenings or their glucometer readings or their CPAP device data. Just bringing all that back in the workflow for the clinician to interpret, change care plans, understand dynamics of is this working for the patient or do we need to do a different care protocol? So that's what we built, is a seamless mechanism to prescribe any digital asset to a patient and then track the patient's usage and engagement of that. And we don't choose the tool. The hospital system deems what what tool might be appropriate, be it a maternity care app or a diabetes management app or the lift ride to get the patient to the procedure on time or the meal delivery for post-op recovery if someone doesn't have a caregiver at home. So we've integrated 60 different things for our hospital customers, but we put it in a seamless workflow that saves ITIS cost and money, activates the patients more readily, and brings all the monitoring of that activity back into the clinical workflow for analytics and interpretation and better care delivery. Yep. So that's what we built. Okay, fantastic. So I don't know if you know this about me, but I actually did have a mobile health startup before I joined Chillmark Research. It was premature. This was back in the early 2010s. And I was trying to do something around mental health space where people could have a live journal where they track their symptoms and whether or not they're adhering to different parts of their treatment, not yep. just their medication regimen. But it was too early for the market at that point. Everybody was focused on the EHR deployment at that time, and they are just trying to deal with the change management of that. However, I have noticed that there still hasn't been a huge uptake of mobile health within the healthcare system yet. And so I want to get your take on, is that because of a resistance to these new technologies and letting go of some of that control of the patient encounter? Or is it just a lack of maturity? And you know, now that we're a little bit more of a mature market, you're starting to see more adoption of these tools. Great question. I think there are a couple of things. So when we were incubated inside Providence, we saw the rise of digital health. There'd be apps that would help manage XYZ. And, you know, and the payers and employers have far more red and direct to consumer. Consumers going to the app store and downloading something that helped them in you know, their weight loss or their nutrition management or their you know, stress and anxiety. Those different channels have adopted digital health more rapidly than hospital systems. Friction of EMR integration, business model incentives, etc. When we work with the hospital system, we manage their digital health formulary. And and their formulary does not necessarily overlap directly what what a payer or employer might have. Payers and employers look for prevention methods. They they focus on chronic care management. They try to keep people out of hospital systems. Levongo specifically. Yes, (laughs) And, and hospital systems will focus on procedural efforts they will almost always adopt a maternity care app. They will almost always do surgical prep and the PTOT recovery on that and digitizing that pathway. Increasingly, they're doing behavioral health 
But when you get into like broad-based chronic care, the hospital systems don't have the financial incentive to prescribe something and then get paid to monitor against and who's paying for that. So what needs to happen is a little more alignment of the payer reimbursement around chronic care and the, the clinical hospital operations. Because one thing that we do have is four to 10x higher adoption when it's that doctor recommending something to a patient than the employer recommending some something to a, uh, their employee base or the, the payer even like suggesting like, John, you really need to manage this and people don't trust insurance. Why are you trying to get me to do this? But if the doctor says that, people will more readily accept and adhere, especially when they know that clinician is looking over their shoulder at the data stemming from that app or tool or program yep. to know if the patient is being adherent to that. So there's a little bit of a sentinel guilt factor that, that you know, creates a, a greater adherence concept when, when the clinician is the one recommending that to the patient. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously the patient-provider relationship is the most trusted within this ecosystem yep. that we're talking about. Nobody trusts the payers to necessarily have their best interests in mind other than cutting costs and making sure that they're not going to get sicker. Yeah. That, that said, they're doing good things. And, they are, and, and they're but some... we don't trust them as consumers usually. That's right, the issue. right. No, <laughs> that, that's, that's true. And they focus on prevention, which ultimately is the, should be the goal of all oh, of us, better, healthier lifestyles. And, and you know, if, if they'll pay for healthy, fresh foods, and if they'll pay for these preventative measures to prevent a surgical operation, that's net net a good thing. Oh, absolutely. So that's what we need to find is a little more balance between what payers might intend their members to do and what hospital systems want their patients to do in better care and, and maintenance and, and healthy lifestyles. I think payers also need to do some more to regain that trust of patients because there are a lot of great payers out there that are doing really good, innovative things, but there's just this backlog of mistrust yeah so. well the, the whole world is bleeding because now payers are getting to more clinical care delivery yep. and there's more virtual first primary care and that's encroaching upon traditional you know hospital and care delivery models so as as the world matures you're going to start seeing more blending of payer provider risk-taking captation etc what have you learned that about the adoption or the uptake of some of these solutions that you maybe weren't expecting hospitals to be as interested in as they have shown to be well because we prescribe and then monitor the, the usage of that, you know, we, we've got different analytics. So we can, in, in prescribing something, we can do a manual click. John, I'm really sorry you're not feeling well. I'm going to prescribe this app to you and you're going to look, I'm going to be able to monitor you remotely and see if there's any, you know, negative signals whereby you might need to change your meds or whatever. Yep. And if the clinician has that face-to-face -face recommendation with the patient, 80 plus percent engagement rates, adoption, deployment, you know, adherence to it. If it's on an automation routine where like, oh, every time we see someone with this diagnosis, let's push something to them and the clinician's not specifically having that conversation with the patient, then you start you know, dropping off 20, 30% on, yep. on some things. So automation, which you know, reduces workload and burden, et cetera, uh, is great. You can meet you know, mass market, everybody fits a conditional profile, but you're going to have a drop in the acceptance and take rate and adherence rate. So okay. that's kind of one level of uh, discussion. Maternity care adoption, you know, a pregnant mom engaging in an app to, you know, track the, the baby's fetal development and, and, you know, massive, massive uptake. A pregnant mom is an engaged mom in, in the health and welfare of that, that child. Smoking cessation? Ah, 
you're going to tell me to quit smoking again? <laughs> but still, we've like 10x the number of smoking cessation enrollments. Like okay. 10x is massive, massive, massive. Yet it's still in single digit take rates. It's okay, not like they, it's not the 80% it? pregnant <laughs> patients, you know, adopting something. You know, you got 2% conversion of the smoking cessations. Another one is advanced directives. You know, having an advanced directive on file, DNR, it's, yep. it's important, end of life, you know, not, not getting to the invasive procedures. Yep. And a massive cost savings for the healthcare industry. Oh, it's, yeah. a tough, it's a tough decision. Tough discussion, you know, for a primary care, you know, clinician in an appointment. Like, John, let's talk about your mortality. Yeah, you really need to f- fill out these forms. Bring them in next time. There's no so standard we, to start that conversation right, these days. Right. So we automate that. Every time someone comes in for an annual wellness visit, they're over age 65, don't have an AD on file in the EMR. Hey, John, you're coming in Tuesday next week to see Dr. Steve. It'd be really important for you to consider having advanced directives on file. Here's educational material. Here's links to download the forms. We really hope you take the time and effort to bring these in on Tuesday. And so we, again, like I, I think we 15x the number of advanced directives on file in the EMR. And when the, cl- when the patient comes into that appointment, the clinician knows in, in the encounter notes, like, John, you downloaded the forms. Did you bring them in? Or John, you watched the video. Did you, do you have any questions? Where should we yeah. start this conversation? So just automating some of the repetitive burdens of, of some of this low-hanging fruit, you know, smoking cessation, yeah. advanced directives. These are like manual processes and like, oh, let me get those photocopies out of this file. You bring it home. You fill it out. Like, if you can just automate a lot of this stuff that's helpful in the administrative side of care, that's also a significant burden, you know, time savings and net benefit to a patient in as much as like a care disease, you know, management protocol or, you know, following the correct surgical procedure steps before you come in for the day of surgery, et cetera. Okay. Um, so I guess wrapping up, is there anything else that you'd like to share about what you're doing with Zelth or what excites you about healthcare in general, like what you're seeing here at Hims, that's piqued your interest or surprised you? Well, I, uh, I came into healthcare to make a change and yeah. I want to do so at scale. And we're now working with over 20 hospital systems. And, and these are the largest ones in the country. And, you know, I want to be ultimately the benchmarking of digital health effectiveness, knowing what apps, what tools, what programs, on what intervention, you know, routine or protocol produce the most effective results for patients. I yeah. mean, I, I jumped into, I, I, you know, had success in some past companies. I wanted to make a change in healthcare, improve the, the health, welfare, and society of, of the U.S. population. So that's what I'm pursuing. My hospital customers are great partners. I am, in fact, presenting in an hour with Duke on a number of the case studies that we've done with Duke Health on engaging patients. We've reached 100% of their patients with different digital assets, tools. Like some of That's it's really patient, impressive. <laughs> some of it's patient education. Some of it's COVID awareness. Some of it's how to schedule a telehealth appointment and you know, teach all their patients how to do telehealth in, in these times of COVID. But Duke has been a you know fabulous partner, and so that's something that you know if you're free in an hour, come up and hear the the co presentation with their chief digital officer and myself. Okay. So actually, building off of what you were just talking about, one of the things that we were speaking with someone yesterday about is this need for better digital literacy in our country. So yep. it sounds like that's something that you're also working to address. Yeah, and and we have sent out material that is sort of you know, targets the different patient populations with their level of educational interest in in that product it 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 speaks to their level of depth in that material is it like deep oncology level data that gets really really in depth or is it more generic you know grade school educational level edu- you know material yep. some of our hospital customers have rural populations one one even said we have an average of you know fourth grade reading level across our population like, holy cow 
we don't even have a patient education vendor. We do video. Okay. And so video is really good. I, it, I mean, but that was tragic. That was sad for me to hear. I had never even, you know, kind of contemplated that. So how you reach a patient population that's meaningful and engages them and, and speaks to them on the level that they'll understand, you know, the health, the benefits, the consequences of not taking care of some of their healthcare needs and, and preparation and, and, and healthy lifestyles and maintenance. We've bridged into a lot of social determinant of health. Yep. We've done a number of meal delivery programs for patients, post-bariatric surgery, how to get started on a healthier eating lifestyle, post-surgical operation when you don't have a caregiver at home, having some fresh you know, meal delivery for you to, to start off on a, on a recovery plan and pathway. We've done transportation. We've done a number of product recommendations. And, and so, you know, I think that's what we can facilitate is bridging a digitally facilitated health not that meal delivery is digital health, but we help digitally facilitate that. Yeah. That is for the benefit of patient care, but it, it, it still needs some technology and automation and, and clinical recommendation logic, which is what we provide for hospital systems to enable better patient care. Fantastic. That's a really good mission. Sounds like you guys are on the right track. So in closing, is there anything that you'd like to say to our audience about how to get in touch with you or to reach out? Zelp.com. Thank you very much. I appreciate everything, John. As always, great to talk with you. And I would love to work with your hospital systems and the number of vendors that you think would be appropriate for better patient care. Thank you.